Well, that was a lot to take in. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Yep. Agreed. All unanimous. <laughs> and that's yes, the so end of this episode. And so ends, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Right. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of F1M Review, the episode and the hour where we look back at round 10 of this season, the British Grand Prix. Hello, I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. A reminder that you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1M Review account. We do of course have one. And starting off this episode of F1M Review, where better to start than, I suppose, from the beginning of Sunday in terms of the race, the crash that we saw. As I said last time, the race was made to start at 3pm British summer time and while it did start on time it was swiftly red flagged after a crash between George Russell and Joe Guan Yu which sent the Alfa Romeo for those who haven't seen it hurtling upside down into the barrier of tyres at turn one before flipping them over into the metal fence where uh, where spectators were observing the start of this Grand Prix where he finally came to rest. Uh, the 23-year-old was cleared by medical staff and later took to Twitter to say, I'm okay, all clear, Halo saved me today. Thanks everyone for your kind messages. It was such a huge crash, which resulted in three drivers DNFing a restart with a Saturday grid, not how they actually got off after Turn 1, which we'll perhaps get into, and Ocon's Alpine being salvaged only later to DNF and cause all sorts of mayhem towards the end. So what do we make of a rather chaotic start to the British Grand Prix? Well, that was certainly an exciting one. Um, I, I, To be honest, shock and awe was pretty much the, the first 30 minutes of that race. Because it was one of those moments when when you see a car in the corner of your eye flying off upside down that that your brain goes, hold on a minute, something's not right there. It it, <laughs> it it kind of had that feeling of when if you've ever been in that situation where you've been like standing around somewhere and then you think oh, this is something's not right. And then suddenly a, like a car comes hurtling around the corner and crashes into something or, or something like that. You know, the, uh, just there was this ever sensing feeling of, of this isn't right and thank god that we have that catch barrier because joe's car went straight into that and that saved the crowd thank goodness bits of carbon fiber didn't come off the car because carbon fiber when it when it shatters those splinters will will basically be unremovable from the skin without surgery this is why by the way if you ever do find a bit of formula one car because sometimes people do don't pick it up with your hands because those carbon splinters will get into your hands and then they're basically like barbed so they'll keep pulling themselves closer in um so you won't be able to get them out so that's a top tip if you've ever found some carbon mm. fiber make sure you don't get a splinter and if you do you've got to try and get it out or 
dig it out because it's 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 ho it's horrible horrible stuff so thank goodness all of these things went in the right direction we had joe being protected by the halo we had the the barrier that protected the crowd and also he hit hit the barrier as well with the underside of his car so that you know he had that even more protection there so i feel like it was one of those moments which, which could have been a whole lot worse and when we weren't being shown any of the pictures from the tv that's when you know things are are really not very good in fact we were mm. relying on our roving reporter liv um who you would have heard in, in, the, in the last series can't be with us um this series but she was there um and she was sending us messages being like oh i don't know what's happening so you know the crowd didn't know what was happening we didn't know what was happening on twitter and reddit and and tiktok there are all these images at the moment and videos of the the impact so it's it's horrific to 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 see the amount of energy going um into the barriers and into basically the the crash structure of the car but it was a race which i don't think any of us will forget because of the first part and then also the last part as well with the amazing battle but i have to say that silverstone you know, we said it was going to be spicy but this one was mm. almost nuclear i think that we can start off by saying that silverstone is always a banger and we can say that yesterday's race was too safe in the knowledge that everyone was okay in the end um because yeah that crash was it's horrifying really it's not when you see when you see cars like hurtling towards a barrier upside down never a good sign uh, in my mind, in the, at the split second, I was thinking, well, he'll flip over the right way and then he'll probably just like tap the barrier and it'll be all okay. And then the camera doesn't turn back to the scene of the accident for about 10 minutes and it leaves you feeling quite empty. It was very reminiscent of when Grosjean had his fiery crash a couple of years ago. Yeah. And rightly so, the TV camera is not going to... In the past, the TV camera would want would go, right, this is the action, let, let me show it. But now, I think there's more of a feeling in recent years that that's just insensitive, even if the driver were to end up being okay. So until there is positive news, they just stay away from that. But it does leave, it does leave the fans and spectators watching, sort of feeling like, well, hang on, there must be something bad going on because we haven't seen or heard anything for a while. As it turned out, many things which we have to give a lot of credit to the FIA for. And they get a lot of stick on lots of things. But ever since, I think really, you go right back to when Ayrton Senna died back in Imola, back in 1994. Um, the pursuit of safety since then, from many aspects, I mean, there's so many to name, but you think of like the different types of runoff at circuits, the different types of barriers, the safer barriers you now have, which absorb the impact and dissipate. Uh, the energy that comes in a crash, whether it's uh, something which isn't spoken about as much, but you know the hands device which the drivers put on around their helmet, that yep. kind of that thing being being introduced in whatever year it was to absorb the impact again of an accident, and in recent years, 2018, the halo. Me being one of the people back in 2017 who said, "Oh, it looks a bit ugly. It's going to you know ruin the 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 real uh, the real vitamins and minerals of single seater racing. I don't don't think we should have it." Um, I was I was wrong, it turns out, because it's, one, we don't even notice it's there anymore, it's just a part of the cars, right? And also, you can name four times now where it's saved the life, so yes, well, five, if you include the F2 crash, where uh, one driver was shoved out onto the grass, and then he came back onto the track, admittedly, sausage curb launched him, given 
give that. But still, the halo prevented a driver's head being taken clean off. And then Grosjean's one being the other example. Hamilton last year, when Verstappen rode his car at Monza, several occasions now where the halo has saved a life. And other factors went in Joe's favour yesterday. For example, his car going floor first against the catch fencing rather than driver's side first. But undoubtedly, if you've seen the images, the halo Mm. just basically when the car's upside down, the halo is the thing scraping along the track. And because it is made out of solid titanium and can take a heavy load of about 12,000 kilograms, it's going to be okay. And it's going to save a driver's life. So I think undoubtedly it did that it did that yesterday. A shame for Joe on another point because he had made a cracking start. He was ahead of Russell and possibly would have got into the points that race. But I think after what happened, what transpired, he will be grateful that he's okay and that the halo saved his life. And also, without before we forget to, to say, it's good to see that all the drivers are okay. I know some of them had bigger impacts than others, but Alex Albon having to go to hospital because he got. Clatter, he got smashed into the pit wall and he got clattered left and front right by two cars either side of him so whilst it was precautionary it was good to see that he was okay as well On the point about the rolling though I don't know if you noticed but when Joe flipped the roll structure on the top of his car sheared off so um, when you look at a Formula 1 car there are these there's a little you know, orange thing on to, or, um, bright yellow thing on top of the car okay that's attached to a little pointy structure that's the roll structure the idea being if a car flips over that will create a a nice gap between the head of the driver and the floor and traditionally in formula one we had that well joe's yesterday completely sheared off Mm. which meant it was only on the halo which is part of the reason why it went spinning into the gravel and went so far because basically the halo was was supporting all of the structure, everything. So um, it, it's it's very interesting to see because one of the arguments that we had back when the halo was introduced was um, whether or not we should actually have it because we have this roll structure anyway. Well, in the case of of Joe, we they're actually not supposed to take huge impacts. They are only there to basically you know the car might rest on it. Um, and so again, absolutely, thank goodness, you know, Jean Tot pushed it through as FIA presidents. We actually worked out how many Jean Tots could stand on, on top of the halo before it would buckle. How many Jean Tots could stand on top of each other, Angus? There's 158 of him. There we go. 158. 158. There we go. Um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful um, that we have it. And thank goodness you say Alex Albon's also okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite remarkable, really, where you see the impact. And if someone were to go and say to me and everyone else afterwards, oh, yeah, don't worry, he'll be cleared immediately, almost immediately by the medical staff. And there's a strong possibility that he'll have the ability to race in Austria. I said, well, there's no chance. There's no way that could happen. But such is the strength of, I suppose, the safety in the car, because we saw in this occasion, the car stayed fully intact. It didn't Uh, with the Grosjean crash for example and that the barrier stayed intact as well the catch fence as well doing its job as you both say there it's a testimony to how well the FIA have done in terms of safety because we hear so often don't we about how the FIA get things wrong but very rarely do we hear about how they get it right but once again we're seeing that safety is a huge concern when it comes to what they do because when it's 
pushed to the absolute limits, it is able to stand the test of time and the test of many impacts. I mean, we have to go and mention as well in terms of the starts, there were protesters on the Silverson circuit, and in many ways it, it's quite a good job there was a red flag, really, because... God forbid what would have happened if there were racing conditions and there were people on the track, not only the impact that would have on the people on the track, the drivers, but also spectators as well. It was rumoured there would be people on the track uh, protesting about Formula 1 being such a fossil fuel guzzling enterprise. But it's worth mentioning there, obviously Lewis Hamilton's got into hot water there with his comments regarding his support for what they do, but then Mercedes having to quickly come out and saying, well, he, he supports what they're trying to do, i.e. their aims, but not their methods of going about what they're trying to do, i.e. direct action. He did clear that up later on. I, I, um, he I, actually posted I realised well. that, but Mercedes immediately came out, posted his comments, and just going from the chronology of things. But yes, uh, worth mentioning that as well. Well, actually, I, I thought it was quite an interesting thing because um, it, I, I, in a turn of irony, I guess, Joe putting himself in and having that dangerous scenario for him as you say, saved or could have potentially saved lives of people who, for some reason, decided to jump onto the track in front of cars that are moving more than twice the speed of a motorway, motorway vehicles, which is absolutely insane. And in and, and, and fairness to us, we are, you know, in support of the message, I think, as, as most people are. But I just couldn't help but thinking, like, uh, the trauma that that could inflict on the spectators, on the driver, onto even the people, the other protesters, because if they got hit by a car, they would be macerated. Those wings would turn into blades. It would be, it would be vile. Like, it, you know, there's no getting around it. And I don't think that's quite appropriate, <laughs> you know, and I just thought it was a bizarre thing to do, if I'm brutally honest, uh, to, to do that. I, I thank goodness it, we just didn't have the racing conditions. Yeah, it's it's just, and, and it's, I think I reiterate the point that which many of the leading figures in F1 have said, is that it's an absolutely viable cause to be protesting about the environment and to wanting to move on from oil and fuel and other natural gases to renewable energy. But there is a big difference in this this group. Just stop oil. There's a big difference between what they did a few months ago when one of their protesters entered the field playing a foot in a Premier League match between Everton and Newcastle, and he's tied his neck to a to a goalpost with a cable tie. Now, that is a form of protest, but it's a football match. You know, there's not mm-hmm. many inherent dangers. This is motorsport. Mm-hmm. It literally says on the back of these tickets, motorsport is dangerous. And if you've seen the pictures. These protesters were taking up half the track. Now, if they've been at full racing speed, it doesn't even bear thinking about, honestly, no, because that would no. have had... You've, you're risking the lives of... Well, their own lives, but I'm not sure they really cared about that, clearly. Uh, but the re- lives of marshals, drivers, spectators, and it's just a close call that you never, ever want to happen. Um, it's like... And again, the, it's, it's a shame because they're... I think what for them, what they want to put out there is their cause and their and their fight for justice. But I honestly think at the end of it, more people are going to be focusing on the danger they put people in, and also the blind. It's it's actual potluck that there was a red flag because yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we, yeah. you, you don't you don't you don't see, you see red flags in F one for sure, but you don't see as many. The, the, you, more times you see a 
field of cars get to the the first straight on a on a on lap one in racing conditions rather than being in, being neutralized under the safety car or a red flag so yeah I, it just i mean you, you could i just think they could have protested it a bit in a better way because it's a very valid cause but they're extremely lucky that it didn't end up with like you said i think macerated is the right word to describe it because it could have been oh doesn't it yeah it doesn't even bear, bear thinking about hmm. it, to be honest Absolutely, and this was before we got into what was a really cracking race. A bittersweet one, really, for Ferrari and Red Bull. Carlos Sainz qualified in P1, won the race, his first ever Grand Prix, on his 150th attempt in starting a Grand Prix. Congratulations to him. He had uh, Charles Leclerc, who qualified in third, finished in fourth. Meanwhile, if you go over to the Red Bulls, there was damage to both their cars. Perez qualified in fourth, finished second. Max qualified in second, briefly took the lead, but then finished in seventh place. Place. And context is key here because it was all around lap one, wasn't it? The restarted lap one where Leclerc and Perez came together, damaged their front wing end plates after quite an aggressive move, really, from Leclerc. Not one we've seen too often from him at the very start of a, a Grand Prix. And this resulted in a whole range of things, but then related there was Max getting a puncture, which Angus informed me just before we started recording was from an Alpha Tauri. I originally thought that was from the uh, aforementioned fight there, but obviously. Obviously not. And we saw, didn't we, a lot of toing and froing, umming and ahhing from Ferrari in terms of swapping drivers, letting them fight, pit strategy, all this sort of stuff. And then came the safety car, which we'll get into later in terms of the last 20 or so laps, which was carnage, where we saw potentially five constructors with the ability to win that race, which is frankly unheard of when it comes to Formula One, unless you're going all the way back to the early 2000s, around 2007, 8, maybe even before that. But who leaves the happier from Silverstone? Red Bull or Ferrari because it wasn't a great weekend was it for Red Bull but if you look at how this weekend went versus the other bad weekends a P2 and a P7 ain't bad compared to double DNFs which both them and Ferrari have been afflicted with and yes they still remain very much in charge with the constructors and the drivers but with Ferrari yes they've won a race that's very good but I think it's a strong case to be made that they could have secured that one-two if they'd have been a bit more ruthless when it came to strategy, pits, and the rest. What do you guys think? Odd question. Who comes up happier? That's... Mm. I think the happiest person is Carlos Sainz because he has just been waiting and waiting and waiting. And in previous podcasts, we called him you know, the, the nearly man than we <laughs> and that is reflective of an opinion that he was always you know always the bridesmaid and, and never the bride and in fairness he really nearly was as well this time because it we cannot go without saying that that charles leclerc on old tires with a damaged front wing on his car was it was absolutely insane this weekend and and on sunday he just was brilliant he with you know he was faster than carlos Sainz. there's no doubt about it carlos Sainz ended up being luckier than than charles leclerc and yes you do make your own luck so that isn't a criticism of carlos Sainz. but we cannot go out saying that charles leclerc did an absolutely amazing job given the 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 you know the state of the car and the hand he was dealt at the very end there and I thought he was going to go off and win the race, to be honest, until Ocon's car decided it fancied adding a little bit more spice into the race, just to, just in case mm. 
you know, Silverstone was looking a bit boring. So I think certainly I think Ferrari comes out looking happier because of their end positions. That being said, we do know that Botto had to have a quiet word with Charles Leclerc after the race, basically to say, look, we know you're angry, but please don't say anything to ruin Carlos Sainz's day. And also, if you can avoid telling the world that other strategy decided to let you down, that would be also very nice. Because let's face it, the, the, the strategy was, shall we say, uniquely Ferrari once again. Um, they really, really, really need to sort out their strategy because they just are so indecisive. They can't decide whether or not to let them race or to swap the cars. There's bargaining going on. You know, Carlos Sainz says, oh, I, I know I'm slower, but give me one more lap. And they go, OK, we'll give you one more lap to show <laughs> us that you're faster. And then <laughs> them will swap you around. That kind of thing. And you can't help but think, would Mercedes accept that? No. No. Would Red Never. Bull accept that? Absolutely not. No. No. Ex exactly. This is an interactive <laughs> section. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think it was one of those cases where you know clearly the the Ferrari hand fell in in uh, science's favour, um, but they would be I think coming out happier because Red Bull they had problems with Perez and problems with Verstappen. It goes without saying though that again. Perez to go from last to second is ridiculous and yes he had some help but but by halfway through the race he was already into points so yeah I think I think Perez individually can come out of there with a big smile on his face because he is very very happy with his result as he should be but overall Ferrari I think must come out feeling a little bit better knowing that they've they're catching up with Red Bull in the, that Constructors Championship a little bit after this weekend. That's an interesting point because I would actually disagree. I would say that Ferrari would come out this weekend with with the equivalent of walking out with a mask over their 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 sad face, which shows a happy smile to cover up their their <laughs> real feelings. Because I I don't know how they managed to do it. Like it was just they had a one two, they had a one two sewn up, and if they let their faster driver go out ahead, they would be fine. They just spent too much time trying to please Carlos Sainz. I get that he got pole, okay, and I get that he got ahead at the start, and it was so it was Sainz for Stappen Leclerc for the first ten laps or so. But Sainz wasn't quicker. He made a mistake. No. He went wide in Maggots and Beckett's, which let Verstappen into the lead, and then Verstappen had his problem where he yeah he ran over that bit of debris. His car, his floor got really badly damaged, hence why he ended up in seventh. 
So for him, straight away, it was damage limitation. He couldn't even keep up with an Alpine or a McLaren, so it was kind of like, okay, if he gets in the points for him, that's a successful day. I think there was a conversation that was had on Sky at one point where Leclerc was basically saying on the radio, well, hang on a second, who who is it, who is in the championship fight? I am. I'm closer to Verstappen. He's down in sixth or seventh, or he's like lower down the field. There's a great chance for me to gain a march back on him, gain some points. Okay, if he wins this, if Leclerc wins this race yesterday, he's closed the gap by 19 points. Okay, and that would put the gap between him and Verstappen down to 30 points. 29 if he gets fastest lap, you know, just over a race win. As it stands, it's still 43. He's closed that gap, but they not taken advantage as much as they could. Now, I know Science got his first Grand Prix win, and it's incredible. That's amazing. I think it's the second longest wait for a first win, first win ever after just Perez. Um in his 150th race as well, at Silverstone in a Ferrari. Doesn't really get much better than that in terms of your first win. But Leclerc could have been streets ahead. Yeah. And when that's, and if he was streets ahead, when that safety car's called, both drivers could get that pit stop, come in for the soft tyre, and then it could all be rosy, and you could be looking at a Ferrari 1-2. As it is, mm. yes, science got the... Even on the final restart, they were like... By the way, Carlos, could you just hold back 10 cars? Because at this point, Leclerc <laughs> missed the pits. Yes, honestly. Leclerc's, yes. Missed, Leclerc's, Leclerc's <gasps> missed the pits, so he's on the hard tyres. So two tire, the third fastest tyre in terms of performance. And Science, Hamilton, everyone, basically, the five cars behind him are on softs. Yeah. So quick 10 lap, that's the finish. And they go on the radio to Science and they say, by the way, mate, we want the best result for the team. So could you just hang back a bit so that he has a gap and has a much possible advantage? And Science was like, um, excuse me, I want to win this race. Go jog on, please. That's not happening. So he basically... I think he was the right to say that. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. well right, to, right to ignore the, ignore the call. Yes. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, be, to be honest, yeah, it's a, he's actually probably done his team a solid there because if he's held back, then he's put himself more at a risk of Perez and Hamilton. So he's actually probably done himself a favour in the end. But what it's done is Ferrari's strategy has cost them a one-two. It's let Perez... And Hamilton get ahead of Leclerc. And it's also left Leclerc only closing the gap a minimal amount in the Drivers' Championship. So for me, considering... And I think even Christian Horner said it afterwards. I can't quote him directly, but he said something along the lines of, well, Ferrari messed that up, didn't they? They should really have taken more points off us. I think that sums it up when the opposing team principal is as happy as he is, despite the day of adversity that they suffered so for me Red Bull will be happier because they made the most damage limitation whilst Ferrari I don't even know anymore yeah amen to that while Ferrari have a bulletproof car their strategy is anything but soft butter if you want another analogy there (laughs) but it seems that Ferrari want to avoid any sort of confrontation any sort of division within the camp it's all for the greater good of Ferrari I mean I I think back to Singapore 2019 where they try and do it on the quiet to get Vettel ahead of Leclerc even though Leclerc was fastest to balance out the race wins that he would have versus Leclerc and we saw this similarly here didn't me it was almost like Ferrari decided after Saturday right okay Carlos Sainz has got P1 he deserves to have P1 at the end of the season end of the race sorry come what may he's got to win this race regardless of everyone else we're doing it for the team etc which is a nice premise in theory isn't it it's a nice idea of you qualified first you finish first yeah but then comes 
cold, hard reality. And when it's a case of, oh, you've got to be doing a 1 minute 32.9, otherwise you're changing your round, and even when that is too slow, considering that Hamilton, an improved Mercedes, was getting after Ferrari, it begs belief of... What's the thought process there? Because I think Ferrari's the only constructors on the grid that I've seen in a 1-2 where I think, they could actually cock this up. They could actually lose a 1-2 with the best equipment, arguably, on the grid, which is just bizarre. And as you say there, the comments of... <laughs> the comments from uh, the, the pit wall to signs of, oh yeah, back everyone up so we can protect Leclerc, even though you've got the better tyres. Just... Begs belief, doesn't it, really? But once again, we're seeing Carlos Sainz 2, Ferrari Garage nil when it comes to strategy calls and thinking and overriding it to great effect, really. We saw it in Monaco, and now we're seeing it when it comes to Silverstone. And he deserved, in many ways, to win that race because he'd done so well. But I just, I, they, they don't seem to have that cutthroat ruthlessness that they had in the first two races, then seemingly left at one of the circuits and forgot to bring it onto the plane. So, in many regards, I think that they walk away from this happy. Sure, you know, P1, P4, that's good. But I agree with Angus when you consider that Red Bull looked out of this race in terms of any serious points to get a P2 with, with Perez, particularly when Hamilton was doing so well this uh, this race. We'll get on to him, of course. And when you consider that there was an Alpine and a McLaren there as well, and that he had damage, you've got to go and say that um, Perez had a bit of a, a stonking race there. And similar to Hungary last year with Verstappen, where he was limping around in ninth place, or this, this time around, seventh place, to get points on the ball when things aren't going your way is so key because we've seen with Ferrari, for example, when it goes bad, they DNF. But if you're Red Bull and say, oh, it went badly, but we still got points, there's always going to be a natural ebb and flow, isn't it? And it's been worse for both teams in the past. It will be worse for them in the future. But to get points on the board when something like that happens is huge. But I think you walk away from this if you're a Ferrari fan thinking, how didn't we get a P1 and 2? How? How? because it was right there for them to do so. I mean, yes, Hamilton was in an improved car. Yes, he was doing better than previous, but he shouldn't have the ability to scare and scarper and worry, arguably the best team on the grid when it comes to technology, at least. No, but I, I think the, the, the flip side of all of it is really, could the results that of, of the, the Ferrari's, let's say, uh, less aggressive team ordering style mean that we as fans get a more enjoyable experience out of it because the flip side is during the race we were all talking and discussing about how brilliant it was that the Ferraris were letting the 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 drivers fight and so with our very sensible hats on we're sitting here going wow that's very silly of Ferrari to let them fight and let Hamilton chase (laughs) after them but from the perspective of us watching the fight it was brilliant it was wonderful to watch them fight in fact we often criticize Red Bull um, and Mercedes for not letting the drivers have a, a go at each other and, and, I don't know, find out which one is faster on, on the circuits. And it can go horribly wrong. It can always go horribly wrong. Um, Just look at Red Bull back in 2017 in Azerbaijan when they crashed into each other. Or Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton when they crashed into each other in Spain. That's the downside of it, of course. But Actually, that's what F1's all about. Hard racing and good fighting. And every so often, a little bit of argy-bargy does mean that you get some, some damage. But hey, as fans, that's we want to see fighting and, and proper racing rather than teams dictating the end order 
of a race once the drivers have got their drivers have got into one and two positions. Of course, Ferrari won't necessarily be thinking that now because, to be clear, they are se- they are strongly second in the championship. Right, with with this round just gone, they have two hundred and sixty five points in the constructors' standing compared to three hundred twenty eight for rebels. So that's you know that's sixty three points that they're now behind. That's that's more than a complete D- double DNF for for Red Bull, which is a pretty strong lead from uh from Red Bull. They they have now really asserted their dominance over Ferrari for at least for for a bit. And let's face it, everything can change. There is a long way to go in this season yet. We've seen comebacks like this before, but I cannot help but think that yes, it's wonderful to allow your drivers to fight. But we were kind of only celebrating it because we thought they'd be fighting over the one-two finish, which would be lovely. Unfortunately, it did let them slide back into, well, let Charles Leclerc slide and be vulnerable all the way back into the fourth position once they also couldn't capitalise on the um, the safety car and change tyres. But unfortunately, it, Ferrari have been perfecting the art of losing championships from about 2010. So this is nothing new, let's face it, for, for, for the team in red. I just, I wonder whether or not they're going to now be facing the championship thinking, well, we're not going to win. Because Matteo Bonotto was interviewed recently and asked whether or not he thought we they, they could win. And he turned around and said, this is the year that Ferrari become competitive. Which to me doesn't sound like a team that's particularly hyping up their own abilities. So I wonder whether or not, mm. actually... Ferrari internally have actually written this season off and gone well we might as well just have fun fight for it be competitive and then next week or next year we'll take it more seriously yeah but it's one of those where yes you've you've quietly accepted defeat in terms of you're not going to win the constructors but surely get the good practice in of being ruthless and slamming home uh, open nets in terms of, uh, and open goals when it comes to races because it's the first time Ferrari have won a race since round three and there's been seven rounds going on or six rounds prior to this where for whatever reason they just haven't been at the races in terms of being there having the chance and dictating the race and dictating the pace and having the ability really to to get that race victory because Red Bull have been on a you know a stonking run of form here and now is the chance and to go right we're back We've, we show what we can do when a chance is there for us, but they just didn't do that. They didn't inspire confidence. And when you consider they're closer to third, Mercedes, who are improving, we'll get onto them, than they are to first, you think, well, it's nice to be competitive, isn't it, really? But surely that's the bare minimum from what was a two-horse race. Because if it was a five-horse race and they were competitive, and, oh, we got second, that's quite good. That's an improvement from third place of last year and being in yeah, category two, shall we say, of the constructors. But when you consider now, they arguably, and I still think in many ways, do have some of the best tech on the grid. You've got to be having the gap closer than it is currently, in my view. So if they don't make this a tough fight and don't go into the last few races really 
you know, going for it and having the ability to win it, arguably from a disadvantage point, probably, you go, well, this is a really missed opportunity because the dust will settle where Mercedes will rise again and be competitive and be in the top tier and not just the distant third getting into the fight in the second half of the season. They'll be there. And then you've got other teams like McLaren, which are likely to improve. Alpine as well, you've got to go and say if it weren't for their reliability issues, they do have the ability when it comes to qualifying to have a really good you know, good time out there and to get a good finish. So, I don't know, I, I would feel this is a missed opportunity if Ferrari don't go on to at least make it competitive going into the last few races. There is almost equidistance between third and first, um, which is very nice, deltas. So there's nearly there's 60, 61 points between Mercedes and Ferrari. And then there's 63 points between Ferrari and Red Bull. So given that, do you see Ferrari either being overtaken by Mercedes or being able to challenge Red Bull for, for the win? I don't see Mercedes overtaking them because I think they've joined the party too late. But equally, I don't see... Ferrari overtaking Red Bull. I see the order as is, at least the top three remaining as such, really, because, well, I go back to the ruthlessness, A, and then B, I think in terms of reliability, there's still questions, isn't there, about Ferrari's reliability. Seemingly, the Red Bull powertrain have, has solved theirs, but we've gone two races in terms of Canada and the British Grand Prix where there hasn't been a DNF, but I think we need a stronger run of Ferrari P1s, P2s, P3s consistently to go, well, they could overtake Red Bull. And seemingly with uh, Mercedes as well, we've seen a good race, you know, a good weekend in terms of uh, the British Grand Prix after some quite average ones where they were third by default, third and fourth by default rather than being competitive and having the ability. I'd say Lewis Hamilton had the, the chance, if it weren't for his poor restarts from the safety car, to actually go on and win this race in the last sort of closing 20 laps, which is frankly unheard of when you consider how sort of off the pace they've been all the way back from uh, Bahrain to Canada and mm. the entirety of the season, really. So I'd be very surprised if Mercedes beats Ferrari, but equally I'd be surprised if Ferrari seriously challenged Red Bull, which, as I say, is a shame. I still think that the likelihood of Ferrari being drawn back into the battle with Mercedes is unlikely. Because for me, Mercedes' form this weekend was fantastic, don't get me wrong. I think Lewis Hamilton had a genuine chance of winning that race before that safety car came out because he was on fresher tyres. He could have won the race and it would have been, I was cheering him on personally, it would have been a phenomenal uh, tonic to what has already been a very good F1 season. But their pace is very circuit specific for me. The races where they have shown their greatest pace are Barcelona and Silverstone tracks with a variety of features, but mostly with quite fast and medium speed corners. Now, they've struggled on other tracks, and also tracks where, the, I mean, the straight there are straights at Silverstone, don't get me wrong, but they're not the longest straights in the world. If you compare it to somewhere like Azerbaijan or Canada or Miami, street circuits with really long straights, or even Imola, which as well has its, has its uh, straights with certain uh, amount of length, they struggle because you have the combat of their lower, the combat, the combination of their lower straight line speed, but also the porpoising then rears its head more. So Silverstone kind of neutered those two issues for me. And whilst Austria is again a circuit where it's got 
not it hasn't got the characteristics of a street circuit. It is smoother, and it should be better. Silverstone is we're talking like bowls level of smooth. We're talking like Wimbledon tennis lawn levels of smooth. It is crisp. It's a crisp track surface, and it played into their hands perfectly. So, for me, I'd say that I don't want to use the phrase flash in the pan, but Mercedes's pace felt a bit like that in comparison to the rest of 2022. And Ferrari, on a day when their car was on race pace, slower than Hamilton, you'd have to argue, they still won the race and they still came fourth, despite messing up strategy and almost completely bottling it. So, for me, I'd say that Mercedes are still nailed on for that third because there's no threat from behind from McLaren or Alpine nor does their peak of pace or consistency of their peak of pace manage to at the moment topple Ferrari on a regular basis now there's a long season to go of course but I still think it's Red Bull v Ferrari for that constructors title with Mercedes just slotting in in third there so for me I think Ferrari will be Ferrari will go forwards before they go backwards and I think Mercedes don't have as much chance of going forwards yeah, that's a it's a very interesting point, really, because unfortunately the deficits are now getting wider and wider and wider as we get a more mature season. But the the drivers' championship is so much tighter actually between that second and third place. Uh, at the moment, it Perez after this weekend has slid up to second with 147 points, with Leclerc now on 138. Which you know for for Leclerc, given that he was leading the championship during the very opening must be pretty heartbreaking. Do you think after what you've seen this weekend, and especially as we haven't really all been together for a couple of weeks, it might be a good time to reflect actually before we go to Austria next. If only there was ever a time to have another week between Formula One races. We have so many things to talk Cheers, about. Cheers, calendar. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. We have a three week coming up, so maybe we'll review the drivers again um, during that period. But do you think Perez will be able to hold, up, hold for second now or... Or do you think, in reality, Leclerc is going to be able to uh, overtake him because he's perhaps a, a better driver and a, in a you know a package that he can make work more? I feel Leclerc will get second place back, and a range of reasons really. First of all, he is the number one driver at Ferrari. I think that's quite clear, irrespective of this weekend's shenanigans. And Perez obviously isn't at Red Bull, although of course there's a more level playing field than before he signed that contract. And I think Leclerc is very much a momentum driver in terms of very patchy and I say that Paris is somewhat similar as well but when you consider that in terms of DNS for example they both had the same amounts but prior to that Leclerc's form was better than Perez's and I question now when it comes to to Perez once the two red once two Ferraris are back will he be able to get the P2s the P1s as he has had um, irrespective of Canada over the last sort of four five six races I'm not too sure I think he's benefited in terms of closing up to Max very much in the fact that Ferrari haven't been at the races but when we see Leclerc not having to fail in terms of retire it, when it comes to races Spain being a good example he was in P1 Azerbaijan as well he was also in a very healthy position so I think if, and it's a big if, but if Ferrari have somewhat solved their reliability issues and are more consistent when it comes to finishing, then I think that Leclerc will uh, overtake Perez when it comes to the ending drivers' championship. I don't think, as I said earlier, that it's solved, but I think that Ferrari have got by or got past their immediate issues when it comes to reliability. And because Leclerc is better, because he is the number one driver, because he has 
well, arguably the better car than Perez. I'd argue that he will overtake it. But I don't think, on that note, he'll go on to fight Max. I think I'd be very surprised if it, there was a close battle between himself, Leclerc, and Max Verstappen for the end, because the gulf is huge, isn't it? It's, it's over 40 points. And yes, that's only you know one race win and a very good finish, or close to a race win. But Max doesn't look like somebody who can be stopped when his car and the whole package is pulling in the same direction because as we saw he was racing away in many respects for that race when at uh, the British Grand Prix just gone if it weren't for that issue he had with his floor and still he got points there so yeah I think second is where Leclerc will go but I'd be surprised if it was higher. So after much discussion, much promise, it seems that Mercedes are getting closer and closer to being competitive again. Looking at this race in isolation anyway, as we say, no bouncing was the message from George Russell in terms of practice and qualifying. The tyres feel strong, an even rarer message by Lewis Hamilton in the race. And when you look at P3 for Lewis Hamilton and the Mercedes in this race compared to Canada, you go, oh, so what? You know, P3 in Canada, P3 in the British Grand Prix, are they improving? Are they getting better? And I think this is one where stats only tell so much, really, because when we look at this at Silverstone, only Max was missing from the fray. Lewis Hamilton was bearing down on two Ferraris, holding his own against Sergio Perez later in this Grand Prix. And after the restart, as said earlier, if it wasn't for the poor start, he could have had the ability on merit to win this Grand Prix. And of course, he's loved Silverstone, he's done so well there and many races gone by. But you can't just go and say Hamilton liking the circuit with the same car as prior means he got P3 and could have had the ability to win. No, no, no. I think there's a clear case that Mercedes are getting better. Unfortunately for them, they're perhaps reaching their peak with 12, 11 or 10 races to go. What do we make? We've spoken briefly earlier about Mercedes, but is this the springboard for them to go on and to really be up there on merit, not just by place numbers in terms of Ferrari or Red Bull drivers failing and the midfield being so packed and being nowhere near them, irrespective of porpoising issues? I was so confident of Mercedes' return back to form that I indeed did put them into my F1 fantasy team. That's right, Mr. Consistency, I thought, absolute, 100% confident behind this particular individual, definitely ah. going to finish the race. Mr. George Russell went into my fantasy team with Carlos Sides leaving in a, ah. a return to form, oh. which is my fantasy team getting hardly any points at the end of a race weekend. Um, I'm now in last, by the way. Uh, after having oh. such a good start, I've fallen back behind you, Tom. <laughs> no, I don't think you've changed yours. No, not the for the last four no. um, <laughs> so, I don't really know what to do next. I was like, oh, I've got them Wait, this does time. That, does that mean I'm in second? You are in second, does yes. That... I haven't changed my... I've lost my password. I haven't changed my team since Saudi Arabia. Right, you're so... legend. Yeah, you're in second. Yeah, se- yeah, so uh, you're in second. I'm in last. Tom's in third at the moment. I am the Mercedes of this group. Yeah, whereas I seem to be floundering at best. I don't know. Um, Yeah, so I I mean, I do believe, obviously, that Mercedes is going to return back to form. And it goes without saying that George Russell was particularly unfortunate. If you don't know why he didn't finish the race, he decided to stop and run over to try and help Joe once he had had his incident in a... A moment that he can be truly proud of, actually, I think. And 
one which reflects on his character. Often we don't quite know how we're going to react when we when we see or are part of an incident. Um, uh, many of us try and gauge that question whether or not you will fight or or you know flight, and and either of them is a particularly reasonable options. But you never know which one you will pick. And uh, George Russell decided to stop and run over and see if he could help. Unfortunately, he couldn't get his car going again, which means it ended up getting back to the pit lane on the back of a flatbed. Now, Mercedes did try to argue that it was mitigating circumstances, but the rules are the rules, unfortunately, and you have to get back unassisted um, to be able to restart in a red flag scenario. So George was out, but I think he can exit with his head held very high, um, and I'm sure Toto Wolff and the Mercedes team were proud of that particular DNF rather than completely gutted by it, as they as they should be. It was a good moment for the sport, I think, actually, mm. uh, amongst a very turbulent weekend, shall we say. Mercedes themselves, though, I think can be pleased on another front, which is that Lewis Hamilton seems to be up in form this weekend. There is now going to be a new iconic moment uh, alongside here comes Sebastian Vettel from uh, <laughs> Crofty yelling and there's Lewis Hamilton as Hamilton briefly got into first place yeah. whilst there was a fight going on for the for the championship lead between well I mean well you know that second first place between Sainz Leclerc was there Hamilton was there Alonso was behind Norris was was in the vicinity as well it was a and Perez, of course. Let's not forget Perez. So there was this massive bunch of of cars all in all in one place, and with Perez sort of slipping out and and giving space to Hamilton, Hamilton was able to sail through past the Ferraris as well into you know into first place for a brief moment, and the crowd went absolutely wild before the Ferraris came back on him, and and, and you know before you know it, he was swallowed back up, and we had a new fight on our hands, and I was shouting at the TV with all my might. Um, I didn't even care who won. I was just screaming at that point. Um, yeah, I was like, yeah, one of you is going to come out of this on top and it's going to be great. <laughs> um, so I lost myself really into that moment, which was absolutely nuts. Um, but you know, let's face it, we wouldn't have had that magic moment without the the hard work from Mercedes to get their car into a drivable position to be palatable towards the driver's spines. So the fact that they're reporting there's no bouncing, the fact that Lewis Hamilton is, is as you say, having a very rare message saying the tyres are okay, which is very unusual. Um, mm. He saw, and maybe he, Lewis Hamilton managed to ascend to a new level with good tyres for once. But yes, I think I think perhaps the the comeback was strong in Silverstone at the very least, maybe because. The, there was a home crowd that was driving the the um the team forward but we're not really going to know for a while not not until we find out how they perform at least at austria but i'm unsure whether or not it can be a race winning car and it's certainly not going to be a championship winning car i reckon if they can get to the point where they are getting a few seconds in this season they'll be on top form because the problem is the Red Bull was so fast and the Ferrari, even without, if you ignore the Ferrari strategy, is also so brilliant. So mm. for me, I think because of Perez, because of Max, because of Leclerc, because of Carlos Sainz, I think second place would be very, very good from Ferrari, uh, would be very, very good from Mercedes. However, if there's one thing that 
this season and this race in particular has shown us it's it's don't discount anyone especially not mercedes so you know i'm rooting for them come on let's get another team up fighting for race wins I will reiterate what I mentioned earlier, to be honest. It's going to be short and sharp, but I don't think Mercedes have got it in them. I think that this race showed a peak and what could be on a track where they have strength, and that's fair enough. And I'm not ruling them out from winning a race this year. I mean, there could be a there could be an odd race down the line where both Ferraris, both Red Bulls happen to be out of the race or happen to be lower down and Mercedes there to pick up the pieces. But for me... I don't see them winning a race. Sorry to break anybody's heart, but no. I think they should just focus on focus on next season. See how that goes instead. Well, I'm going to come right back at you there and say I think they will win a race this season based on nothing other but just pure hope. Um, yeah, it was a great weekend, <laughs> wasn't it, for Ferrari there. It was such a shame for George Russell after being so consistent that he wasn't able to put that consistency to good use at Silverstone but you've got to look at this Grand Prix I think as a Mercedes fan Hamilton fan Russell fan and just fan of the sport and go good it's good to see that Mercedes are coming back Mm. and I understand that you know they've set the bar pretty low in terms of how well they've done historically compared to this season you know they were third by default not really by merit i think it's fair to say but it's good to see that as we say they were challenging the ferraris they were there on merit and i think they could kick on and win a race but i as you say i don't see it being a scenario where they beat both red bulls and ferraris on merit i can see a similar situation where perhaps there's some rain perhaps there's a few dnfs restarts red flags all that sort of variables coming into it where they could do what pierre gasly did for example in monza and win that race you know the unexpected can happen when the cards fall you know right in your in your hand so to speak and i think that they are there now to do that not because of default but because they can actually have the ability and do have the ability I feel in certain circuits to take advantage of a certain team or driver that has floor damage for example as we saw with both with both Red Bulls in some capacity well less so with Perez but still he was able to hold his own so I think the chance will come for Mercedes but the question is will they can they take it because yes they've improved after a pretty you know dodgy start to the season but if you're a Mercedes fan or employee if you're ending the season with no race wins zero nada compared to last season you're going to be pretty disappointed whatever way you try and slice it or spin it because yes they've improved finishing third in the constructors after years of dominance you know it's not to be scoffed at everyone has a bad season type thing but to win no races and to get well not even a second place currently they've already been in the podium in in third places and that's only been on six occasions so far out of uh, 10 rounds you've got to say that's pretty disappointing so I think there's got to be a bit of face saving going on towards the end of the season one or two race wins would redeem some of that but realistically speaking Mercedes will be ending this season thinking damn missed the chance there but the hope is that they'll be able to learn lessons from this season in terms of porpoising and design and make amends and then be back up there with Red Bull, Ferrari and whoever else is up there really because it could all change but um, they are improving good to see but we shouldn't get the hopes up of Mercedes are about to rejoin the fight because I think that's optimistic at best regardless of the drivers they have there was another takeaway as well from Silverstone that I, I was considering really and that's we have a lot of street races now and Silverstone being a, a, a thoroughbred, if you'd like, 
racetrack really demonstrated the difference between the, the streets and what racing can be like when you have a proper place geared up to it. We got so much more racing and better racing, I think. So I wonder whether or not you might, well, whether or not you think that the Formula One aero package this year with the new style has done its job to allow better racing or whether or not Silverstone was a bit of a fluke when it came to the, the amount of cars that could follow and could battle. Um, yeah, I think the regulations have done a lot of good, really. I think to think that we could have gone from last season where it is very much a two-horse race and constructors race to one where anyone could win a race was, I think, optimistic at best. There was always going to be a little bit of change, a little bit of latitude, but there wouldn't be a free-for-all type scenario. And we're seeing now where you have the three teams at the top, Mercedes joining that, a very, very packed midfield, and you can't really tell. I mean, obviously, Williams are bottom by 10 or so points. There are clear sort of strands and casts when it comes to the constructors, but they, we're not in a situation this year, I feel, where the order is set You know, before the race and after the race, and we can pretty much tell where everyone's going to be. There's teams that can surprise you, as with Hassel, we'll get on to, Alfa Romeo as well. Everyone's got points. Everyone's gone into Q2, for example, which you didn't see last season, which there was no hope of Helen seeing last season. So I think it's good in that aspect and as well in terms of following. We wouldn't have seen the glorious last 20 laps or so that we saw between five different constructors if it weren't for the new regulations, which allowed for different teams to follow each other comfortably without hampering their performance by being too close to the dirty air coming out of said car. So I think the regulations are working. They're making it more competitive. They're making it more entertaining as well. But I, because I, I've heard as well on many occasions, people being, oh, you know, you've got Red Bull versus Ferrari. It's pretty much as it was. They just replaced Ferrari, or should I say, just replaced Mercedes with Ferrari. But it's the same structure. And I, I disagree with that really because I've seen so many different people get so high up into the points and and do so well. And I think we'll see more of that to come. We'll see a more level playing field between constructors. So I think, you know, good job to to the regulations and it's nice to see the good old fashioned racetracks of Silverstone. I think we'll see similar with Austria. You know, we saw it um as as well previously um Bahrain be a good example where you saw really competitive racing from circuits which are not street circuits or, or geared in a certain fashion. So I think it's a victory for the good old fashioned race circuit versus the more new additions that have come in. And I think, you know, that's good because in many ways if you have a very competitive circuit in terms of let's say Spa or Monza and Silverstone, the produce entertaining and competitive racing, the ones that do that without producing such big bucks in terms of paying Formula 1, it makes it even harder then to go and remove them from the calendar because you can't go and say, oh, well, we're getting rid of so-and-so because of bad racing when the racing there over the last few years has been so good. So in that regard, I think the regulations help the good old-fashioned race circuit and I think everyone wins there, really. Instead of there being a system where you replace the old circuits because they don't pay for new ones, they do pay. And we saw with you know Miami that doesn't always work in terms of bringing new circuits in for the sake of it and designing it in a certain fashion and not producing what the old ones had, if that makes sense. 
And so ends episode 19 of F1M Review. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or River Radio, be that live or via the Listen Back feature. A reminder, you can follow F1M Review on Twitter as, as well as myself and Tristan. And before we look forward to the Austrian Grand Prix, congratulations to Haas for their first double points finish since Germany 2019 and to Nicholas Latifi for getting into Q2. But yes, now we look forward to round 11 the Austrian Grand Prix. This one has a sprint you'll be happy or unhappy to hear. In terms of Friday, qualifying will start at 4pm, that's British summertime. The sprint starts conveniently at 3.30 on the Saturday and then the race is at 2pm on the Sunday. As I say, we'll be back next week to discuss all this and more in terms of F1, what happened, what didn't happen and what this all means in the next episode, that being episode 20. So until next time, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.